Welcome to Self Studies, a podcast that explores how identity can inform a person's lived experiences and mental health. I'm Laura Duper, and today I'll be talking with Liz Beecroft about identity in adolescence and emerging adulthood, how social media can shape our perceived reality, and meeting people where they are. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. My name is Liz Beecroft. I am a licensed clinical social worker based in Brooklyn, New York. My preferred pronouns are she, her, and I am a member of the Alma community and I've been in private practice for quite a few months now, I guess not quite a year, but primarily focusing on working with millennials and Gen Z who are in different creative outlets. That's awesome. Well, congrats on almost a year in, in private Thank practice. You. That's great. Would you mind just telling us a bit about how you got to where you are and how you got to your particular area of focus? Yeah, absolutely. So mental health is something I've been you know, really passionate about probably my whole life because it's always been a part of my life, but more so because when I was young, you know, I've been in and out of therapy for various reasons, um, due to anxiety, due to depression and trauma. And it, you know, really helped make a positive impact in my life. And so it was something that, you know, once I got to college, I decided I wanted to pursue a career in to make that type of impact in someone else's life. So, you know, I moved to New York in 2014 for my master's in social work and my experience really began working um, for the New York Foundling where I was providing functional family therapy, FFT, it's an evidence-based model, to families and teens that are involved in the juvenile justice system in New York. And then from there, I moved to another position in the nonprofit space providing cognitive behavioral therapy or trauma-focused CBT as well to kids that are in the New York foster care system. A lot of my experience has been working with young adults, adolescents, and children, which is really where I'm passionate about just working with like the younger generations. I really do believe in making, hopefully making a positive impact and being a person that can provide support and guidance in their life and help them heal through difficult situations. And you know, personally, outside of my work as a psychotherapist, I also do creative work in the sneaker industry and with different brands that are in streetwear and athletics. So I've been able to kind of utilize my expertise in mental health to help brands have more of an impactful message when they're speaking about mental health. So working with them as a consultant or even externally as a collaborator and doing full product collaborations. So that's the emergence of those two areas of my life is kind of what brought me to my private practice where I really focus on working with millennials and Gen Z, people who primarily are working in creative fields from music to entertainment to the digital space, social media, or even athletics and fashion and, and beyond. So because I do have that experience and have a window into that world and I can understand you know, how stressful it can be at times. So that's kind of what brought me to where I am now. Wow, that's so cool. And I feel like it's such a needed space to occupy. There's so many people who fall into that category of, especially in New York City, pursuing something creative and um, of the younger millennial or Gen Z generation. So that's that's huge. 
in your working with young adults, have you found that they're just in, in thinking about how identity is formed? Um, cause I know that's something that you, you just mentioned and things that you you've talked about, how much do you feel like is determined by the circumstances we're born into and how we just see ourselves in the world? Yeah, I believe a lot of it is a combination of both, you know, just kind of going back into Eric Erickson's theory of social, social development and psychosocial development, we, you know, kind of, as adolescents, and as young adults develop, what he referred to as an identity crisis. So you're kind of at this point in your life where you're, you know, exposed to your role models, you're exposed to your family, your friends, and all the external people in your life, but also having your own goals, your own values, and your own beliefs, a lot of those which are, you know, intrinsically part of you, but also what you've been exposed to your entire life. And as you start to become older, and you start to develop um, and mature, you start to question and you start to want to experiment more so with your identity and really find who you who you truly are. So I believe a lot of it has to do with what we were born, the circumstances we were born into, but also just how we see ourselves and our um, position in, in the world. You know, social media these days gives us a view into so many different parts of the world and different areas of life that I think definitely play an impact on people's view of themselves. But I think it's very much a, a, a combination of both factors, you know, our family, our friends and, and our close sense of, you know, self and our own beliefs and goals, but also just trying to experiment and, and grow out of it and to really kind of develop and, and grow into who we feel completely confident in being. Totally. You're kind of hitting on this idea of of emerging into adulthood, like kind of finding you're saying reaching out and finding our our identity as we kind of break away from these these systems that we grew up in. I know a lot of people tend to see that as rebellion. Do you see it as rebellion? Do you see it as exploration? Where does that kind of come from and what do you think our kind of cultural idea of of what it is kind of lands? I definitely don't find it to be rebellion. I think it's so easy term to label it as, especially when you might be, as a teenager, going against your family values or your family beliefs. But, you know, again, going back to psychosocial theory and Erickson, um, especially as a teenager, that stage of development is really like the idea of role identity versus confusion and trying to really decipher who you are in, in a system of your family versus who you are outside of that family system. And so, you know, it kind of becomes more of an experiment. You know, we start trying new things. We have people that we look up to that aren't directly associated with our family members that maybe we want to be like, or maybe that they have qualities that we really like about them. So we start to kind of try new things. We we take on this complexity of, of really adapting to things that we find intriguing or things that we might look up to and, and look toward versus who we've been, you know, in the environment we've been in our entire life. I don't necessarily, you know, think it it is rebellion because a lot of it comes down to like who we are, whether it be in relationships, um, in our school system, in our career paths, just political views start to emerge, our, you know, our 
social circles might change. Our sense of style and how we want to present ourselves externally also starts to change and adapt. And I think not necessarily as a rebellion, but it can also become confusion because we're also trying to learn this sense of independence and grow outside of this family structure or this role that we've always kind of been in maybe not by choice at times and trying to grow out of that and really become our own version of ourselves. It has a lot to do with how we resolve past childhood experiences, but also how we kind of start to take on these new experiences and and a lot of these other external factors such as role models, such as peers in school, teachers, friends, people that we're meeting along this journey that we kind of call life and as we grow older. Totally. That completely makes sense. Do you find in your work with clients in this stage of life that this causes some pain? Like, is this a big pain point to develop these new ideas and and new sense of identity and kind of emerge in a way? Yeah, I think, you know, it can be very, very confusing for a lot of adolescents and, and young adults. I think more so what they're finding with research is that we really don't start completely finding our identity until we're a young young adult. Whereas in the past, theories had said that, you know, we find our identity by the time we're, you know, teenagers. However, I think that, you know, it, it's challenging because sometimes the beliefs that we might have or those core values that we might find that we have are very different from what we have been taught our whole lives. Um And that creates this inner conflict of wanting to maybe have that loyalty to the people that we've always been around and identified those values with. But now, you know, because of other experiences in life, it starts to challenge those core beliefs and those core values, which might you might start to see those those beliefs change over time and they might start to evolve into into deeper values or, or, you know, completely different values. And a lot of that has to do with our experiences in life, such, you know, just personally, like where I grew up in a very small town in Pennsylvania versus who I am today living in New York City is very different. And, you know, a lot of that had to do with my surroundings and my environment. And I think teenagers today, they have exposure to a lot more than things that I had when I was growing up. So that's also something, you know, to take into consideration is, just that struggle of maybe having a role model like Machine Gun Kelly is someone that comes up often when I'm working with younger clients who, you know, might not be the the, the stereotypical role model that most parents would want their kids to look after. But it's, you know, it is what it is. And, and that challenges, you know, your fam- like the family dynamics and the family beliefs or, you know, your whoever your people are as you grow up. And, you know, having those challenging dynamics, you're at this this crossroad in your life where you can either go down this side or you can go down this side and trying to make that decision for yourself and not let, you know, other opinions and beliefs and values kind of sway you is really what becomes confusing and challenging for kids. So, yes, I definitely do see it often, you know, even as a clinician, I think it can be it can be challenging to you know, try and encourage that self-growth, but also make sure that you're keeping your clients safe and that they're not potentially putting themselves at risk of developing any concerning behavioral patterns or, you know, any harmful behaviors that could put them, you know, at risk for anything. Right. 
I will go ahead and identify myself as a millennial and I'm a, I'm a, a cuspy millennial. Uh, and I, I find that a lot of my peers who moved to New York in their early twenties were, you know, running from something, uh, maybe in, from their small town or running towards something, especially towards something creative, maybe, um, by moving to the city. So I'm sure that that is a lot of, of what you encounter as well, just being in this really specific space of, um, working with creatives and working with, with young people who, who maybe are in New York now or have moved from a town that, that was very different. And that kind of leads me to this question I have about that, that cusp, um, as you were kind of alluding to earlier, that maybe not growing up with so much access to, to the internet or being, it being completely just your whole, your whole experience of growing up is involving the internet. And how have you kind of seen the distinction between those who really have grown up with it their whole lives and those who maybe just encountered it later in life? So have you seen a, a distinction with, with Gen Z who really have not known a world without the internet and kind of how their identity is formed? A hundred percent. Um, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with like how we use social media and the intention behind our use of these apps. But, you know, there definitely has been patterns that I've noticed where, you know, the effects that it can have on self-esteem, you know, and, and your identity that plays in with that. Because oftentimes with social media, there, you know, is this idea of like hype culture and, and what is cool and finding validation through metrics such as likes and comments and story reshares and things like that that kind of negatively at times reinforce people to act a certain way or present themselves a certain way on social media. So oftentimes you're you're online and you're seeing what is getting those reinforcements. And so that can affect one's identity by wanting to compare yourself to someone else who might have a completely different circumstance. But, you know, forgetting the fact that social media is very much a highlight reel and people are only showing you this version of themselves that they want you to think is the entire thing. So a lot of clients that I've been working with that are younger, it's work around trying to help them understand what the other half of that story might look like and, and how, you know, even putting themselves in that position that they might not always post the full encompassing picture of, of what they look like or what their lives might look like um, to just gain better perspective on the scenario. But yeah, comparing themselves to others, which has a huge effect on their identity and self-esteem, looking up to role models who may or may not be the best type of role model, but for reasons such as, you know, what this person might have or what their life might look like through social media, it's something that is to be attained or it's desirable. So that, you know, deems them a role model when maybe the qualities about them as a human being aren't necessarily the best to be a, a role model. Following crowds and just kind of doing, going where the trends go, that's a huge other thing, you know, and that definitely affects self-esteem because when you start straying away from your core values and your true identity, you know, that creates this, the inner conflict of, you know, my behaviors and my true self are not aligned here. And so you're actually going to see a lower self-esteem because you're not actually really acting or putting out into the world who you really are. Um, you're kind of living this almost like 
separate life per se for social media and I think it just allows us to kind of really create this own narrative of our of our lives and it can become very daunting to try and keep up with if that's not who we truly are and I was reading something and it kind of went on to say about trying to go back in the past like social media today like what's on the internet kind of essentially stays there so if your identity is shifting over time or you're, you know, a teenager, a pre-teenager right now and you're showing so much of your life on social media, who you might be in 10, 15 years might be very different than who you are today. And that's normal and that's okay, but what happens with social media sometimes is people dig up your past. And so that's a whole other, you know, concern is like, you know, what might come out in the future if you're trying to, you know, not remember who you were there's things that maybe I have done in the past that I look back and I'm like, oh, why did I do that? But luckily I don't have photos all over social media of that. So that's another concern that this generation is facing today is that potential to, you know, maybe have things dug up from their past that they want to forget and they're trying to like get away from for various reasons and making it really hard to be able to do so, which also then plays a role into their identity and how other people also might view them. Wow, yeah, that completely makes sense. I, I've had that thought many times of how thankful I am that I wasn't mm-hmm. on social media as any younger than when I was, <laughs> than when I started. You said so many fascinating things just now, and I, I wanted to go back to to one that I'm I'm curious just as you're talking about this you know, trying to get people to understand that you were just seeing a highlight reel and, um, and for them, for themselves to recognize that and what they post and, and what other people are posting since it can feel so, um, we're just inundated with, with these highlight reels that it can feel like so much like reality. Do you find that there is a, that's a hard delineation for, for this generation to kind of separate internet reality from reality reality since it is so pervasive yeah I think even for adults it's hard to do that there's times even myself like I will compare like my behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel and I think that happens so often especially with you know the younger generations who might not have that level of awareness or insight yet into being able to really sit back and say, wow, my, my day today might not be going the way I had hoped and I might be struggling right now with something. And then to go online, which for a lot of kids is a coping strategy, helpful or unhelpful, that's not my decision to, to make, but going on social media, scrolling, doom scrolling, and just constantly seeing like people who have photoshopped photos and people who have all these luxuries in life or are on vacation and trips. And the more you scroll, the more you see that kind of stuff, which really then you kind of take that in and, and you sit and, and you say, wow, like my life doesn't look like that right now. And the reality is that person's probably sitting at home too, posting a photo from a vacation they took a couple months ago. But our minds don't go to that place automatically when we're seeing that online. It leads us into the self-doubt or the self-esteem and comparing ourselves to other people. And I think it it really does go back into like the idea of how we use social media and, and being very mindful about 
our intent behind it and, and what accounts we follow, noticing what accounts maybe trigger us into those types of patterns versus what ones inspire us and uplift us to be better versions of ourselves. And I find that's a lot of the work that I'm, I'm doing when it comes to social media and, and use with the younger clients that I have is to really help them just with perspective on what is the real world reality and what is the digital world reality and how to differentiate that and keep, you know, just keep those things in the back of your mind that don't compare your behind the scenes to someone else's highlights because they also have a behind the scenes. They're just not showing it. Yeah. And and you also hit on a good point that of course, on the flip side of a lot of the negative things about social media is a lot of increased access to information and tools and, you know, ways for people to feel less isolated. I know we've felt that, of course, now um, as we're all isolated. How have you seen social media platforms be a tool for good? Maybe those even who are talking about their mental health online or trying to show some of that behind the scenes how have you seen that play out and what do you think has been helpful? Yeah, it's definitely been nice to see people show that vulnerability online and really show that other half of, of themselves, which really normalizes a lot of these experiences and feelings that, that every single one of us has at times. And to know that we're not alone in this and that sometimes it's like we can go online and and post the reality of what's happening in our lives and it should be encouraged you know it's really nice to be able to see different types of information being shared and spread around there I think that type of information and those types of that type of content is super helpful for people because it's educational it's teaching people how to grow and, and learn and to become a better human and that's the stuff that I encourage people to to follow along and to to engage on to really look up to your role models like the Kevin Loves of the world who are sharing their stories on mental health even though he's like an NBA player and you would think that he has everything great in his life he's he also struggles and he's also a human and I think that kind of vulnerability and transparency is really what is beautiful on social media to see people sharing their stories and just being their authentic selves and and not feeling like they need to fit into this certain mold in order to be accepted in this digital space. And also the fact that like we've been able to highlight amazing nonprofits and organizations that are doing great things for different communities, you know, and uplifting those voices and and sharing the work that they're doing and ways for people to get involved and actually make an impact whether it be through donating or volunteering or, you know, helping other people find support that they might need. I think that's, you know, the community aspect of it and finding the community that you feel is the best fit for you is is what's really awesome about social media. That makes sense. It is such, there's such a duality there and what it can do and what it, um, and when it can harm as well. And I think that makes so much sense that that is a, a big majority of, of your work is kind of how to even navigate these, these platforms that, um, especially Gen Z has, has never lived without, um, and is only getting, getting more encompassing and, and bigger. I also was thinking about how, you know, thinking of identity and, and role models and, 
people that we seemingly have so much access to now. Um, whereas, you know, when I grew up there, these celebrities were this far off thing I saw in, um, in tabloids and, and magazines. And now it feels like we have so much access to, to their real lives, which I know some, some are really, you know, like you mentioned, Kevin Love, like trying to give real access to, to their, their whole self. And then of course you have this close proximity to celebrities that are perfect to us and, and just have, have an account like we would have. Do you find that that closer proximity or feeling of, of closeness to these celebrities has been harmful just as that is like in direct comparison to an average person's social media presence? Or do you find that that's, you know, maybe, maybe a good thing that we've brought them down to this, this level in a sense? I think it's a little bit of both. Like you said, there are some celebrities out there that are like, one, hysterical. It's like the comedic <laughs> relief of social mm-hmm. media that I love following. Like, I think Lizzo is great to follow on TikTok. If yeah. anyone has TikTok and follows Lizzo, like, amazing. Mm-hmm. People like that, that like, clearly aren't taking it too seriously, are having fun, are showing their unfiltered, fully authentic, genuine selves. You know, and I think at the end of the day, you can you can also tell like maybe for maybe that's the difference between age groups and and but maybe not i think you know you can tell who's curating a certain image that they want themselves to be and i think regardless it's this person's your role model or that person is your role model it's good to always have a role model it's good to have someone to look up to and and strive to be like um but i think it's also equally important that you know we keep in the back of our minds that there are certain factors we can pull from some of these people who might only show their curated versions of them, their lives that are still healthy to look up to, whether that be through, you know, their charity work or whatever it is that they're doing for the good. Um, and there's also people that we can also look up to as role models that are 100% their authentic selves mm-hmm. online. And, and that gives you even more, more qualities to strive to be like. Um, so it's, it can be harmful in the sense of when it gets into the, like the photoshopping and, and the body image idea behind it of having to look a certain way physically in order to be considered likable, which is, I think, a lot of that both young men and, and young women face today is just having wanting to have the perfect body or the perfect skin or the perfect hair or, you know, whatever it might be, which sometimes on social media, like, Photoshop does exist and that's not really what people look like. So that that aspect of it is very dangerous. And even, you know, with certain like the influencer culture and looking up to people and seeing people that have all these materialistic things, you know, wanting to have those things and not feeling good about yourself if you don't have those types of things. And also keeping in the back of your mind that sometimes those things just get gifted to those people or they're rented and then they get returned or there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that we don't really know. So there are a few nonprofits out there that are doing a lot of work around trying to educate the younger generations on this type of stuff, which I really appreciate because I think it helps them then keep that in the back of their mind and take certain things with a grain of salt, depending on who they're following. Yeah, I was curious, and I, I, of course, don't mean for this to sound like a demeaning question. I count myself among this generation, but do you find that that is hard for 
for your clients to recognize on their own that this is, these are curated realities, that this is, you know, photoshopped or that this is an influencer who has access to this that isn't granted to everybody else. Do you find that something you're having to kind of constantly remind people of, or do you find that this is something that, that people are kind of able to discover on their own and recognize? Yeah, I think it really depends on the individual. I think for the most part, when it comes to social media, <laughs> the younger generations are a lot better at it than than we are. And they know a lot more than we, we give them credit for. And, you know, like even within like certain fandoms for different music artists or like stan culture is something that, you know, if you really like something, you're you're a stan for this this thing or this person or this whatever it is. They're in they're in there. They're like it's it's very common for kids to have like multiple accounts on these apps. It's it's and in in some regard like that's probably a good thing because it's giving them like a certain like bucket for each need that they need to fill. If they want to go on and and have a meme account or if they want to go on and have a fan account and and it allows them to express themselves differently depending on what they are, but also I think it is a concern at times of the awareness of like what the reality is behind the scenes and trying to help them. But again, I think it definitely depends on the individual and like their experiences and where they've come from, what their past experiences has, have been like, what the their access might be like and just, yeah, how exposed they are to certain things on social media. Would, have you ever felt like it was the best move or have you recommended to any of your clients to remove themselves from social media has has that ever come up it's it can feel like it's impossible to get away from it do you ever feel like that's the move for people yeah I think you know sometimes taking breaks is a healthy thing you know too much of anything is really not a good thing no matter what it is and same goes for social media so you know I find sometimes we talk about screen time and how much time you're spending on certain apps and and what you're doing when you're using those apps and noticing what are good indicators when you need to take a break from social media and how to do that, whether it just be delete the app for a couple of days so you're not you're not having that muscle memory to go, you know, automatically click on the app and, and start scrolling, how to mute and how to block certain things to keep your own profile trigger free. So, you know, you're not allowing people to comment and be trolls on your page, how you are allowing yourself to potentially not have to see some of the things that can be triggering for you. You know, I never try to like tell someone to completely delete it because I, I think at the end of the day, that's a, a large ask. And if that's something they're open to, then by all means, that's great. But I think, you know, starting small and encouraging breaks and time away and time to encourage more mindfulness and just to be in the present moment in the here and now and in, in what's happening in, in real life versus what's happening in the digital life is really like how I'm working with a lot of the younger clients and setting those types of boundaries. That's great advice. I, I know that that you also have a strong following on social media yourself. Do you see that kind of informing the work that you do with clients? Is that you know, just having a presence on there, does that kind of inform the way that you work with your own clients? 
Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I always, I'll be honest, like there's times I definitely don't practice what I preach and it's not because I, by choice, sometimes I literally have to be doing work that involves me being on social media. But I think, you know, relying on my support systems when needed, if I get sometimes like, you know, we're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of wanting to be on there scrolling, looking at things, not being present in, in what we're actually doing in that moment. And, you know, sometimes it takes me giving a friend a call and just saying, hey, you know, let's talk. Let's just have a little chat on the phone here, get my mind off of this urge to be on here, to not compare myself to other people. You know, sometimes I need that reassurance to be brought back into reality, but it definitely, you know, plays a huge role in in my work with clients and just my experience and understanding what that world looks like. And what the the harsh realities of it can be, but also what the amazing and positive qualities of it can be. And and I think it definitely helps, like, you know, sometimes working with teenagers can be challenging and trying to ha- help them understand that I do get it. I might not be totally hip and totally cool in their eyes, but at times I can definitely understand the struggles that they face when it comes to technology. And there have been sessions where, Clients have struggled in the past at past jobs where clients have struggled with, you know, body image and and um, just comparing themselves to other people and, and feeling like they don't look a certain way. And so literally going there's like a Dove commercial that we have watched where it shows like all the photoshopping that happens in 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 these types of apps and just to kind of help you know, them feel more empowered to, to love themselves for, for who they are and what they look like and not feeling like, you know, they have to look a certain way because this person that they, they see on online looks like that. When in reality, they might also have some pimples and some stretch marks too, but there's a way to get rid of that. And that's not, you know, really being authentic and genuine to themselves. That Dove commercial was incredibly helpful to me as well. I <laughs> I've watched it many times. Yeah. And I know a lot of your work outside of your private practice is working with other other companies and, and brands to kind of help develop some mental health awareness. Um, what do you find? Like, I'm just curious okay. um, what you think some of our biggest pitfalls as a culture are right now, like in talking about mental health um, in, in the public space and then, um, where you kind of like to, to see the conversation redirected. I mean, I think right now, given this last year that we just had, I think a lot of people are now, whether they were in denial before or just unwilling to acknowledge that mental health exists are very much aware that mental health is, is real and something we all have. And that's an, that's a good thing. I think that's a step in the right direction is like having that awareness But my concern is, you know, given this last year, mental health definitely is a buzzword. And a lot of the work I'm doing with brands is to not use mental health as like virtue signaling or value proposition to just get sales and make money off of this, because this is something that every single person has, whether we have, you know, we struggle with our mental health or not, you know, it's still not something to try and profit off of and to just use it as a ploy to to sell more hoodies or t-shirts or whatever. So that's really where, you know, I'm, I'm trying to hold people, brands, companies accountable. And, you know, if you're going to talk the talk, you also need to walk the walk. And that looks like, 
doing the trainings internally? Are you training your staff and your employees? Are you creating mentally healthy environments for your employees? Aside from just donating to a nonprofit, are you actually giving tools and resources? Are you working with mental health professionals who are able to make sure that your press releases are have the appropriate language, that um, your copy on your social media assets have the appropriate language, that your product descriptions have the appropriate language, that the graphics you're using aren't triggering or are okay and, and something that is appropriate when it comes to mental health. You know, I think a, a lot of that is something that brands don't know and I, and I don't expect them to know because they, you know, unless they have mental health professionals working there, they're not really going to know all of this type of stuff. So that's why it's really important to hire consultants that are mental health professionals that they can really help guide you in the right direction and make it an actually impactful initiative. I think like, you know, given the last year, I've seen so much of the it's okay to not be okay sentiments online. And as much as I think that is true, and I agree with it, I think you know, in 2021, we're past that point. Like, we know it's it's okay to not be okay right now. It's, let's take it a step further. And what do we do when we're not feeling okay? What steps do we need to take to really support ourselves or support other people? Because the saying that it's okay to not be okay, like, we, we get it. That's been in, ingrained in our brain at this point. And let's actually give people those those steps and those actionable items to improve their mental health, whether it just be helping them learn how to find a therapist who's a good fit or what other ways you can take care of your mental health that might not include therapy if you're someone who therapy isn't the right match for. That's really what I tried my best to do. And it sometimes it's very frustrating, I'll be honest. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I agree that feels like every other post is that sentiment of it's okay to not be okay and it feels good in the moment but then you keep scrolling and you don't know what to do with that sentiment so I'm really thankful for that work and education that you're doing I also wanted to ask you about mental sesh and I know that that is um, something that that you have recently ventured into right can you just tell us a little bit about it yeah so mental sesh is is actually my private practice. So it's like two, there's two businesses behind the scenes that are operating for legal purposes, but we're a private practice first and foremost, and also a community-based brand. And when I say brand, I don't mean like we're like, yes, at some point we will have products and collaborations, but it's really about like kind of creating a standard for a lot of these other companies who are tapping into mental health through products and, and things like that, where showing people how we can have meaningful conversations about mental health, how we can actually make an impact through donating. Like, you know, when I do product collaborations with mental health, I don't profit off of those at all. 100% gets donated back. And and it's also important, like, to give actionable items and resources to the consumer as well. You know, this hoodie isn't going to do anything for my mental health, but having a list of hotlines actually will. And that's kind of our, our motto with it. So it's really just creating an online presence right now, hopefully branching out into a, a real concrete brick and mortar in the future is our goal, where we want to just create a community around mental health that isn't very overly clinical, isn't very stuffy with a quote on a white wall. We want to do a little bit more 
make it fun, make mental health not feel like it's a chore, make it feel like it, it, you know, it's something we look forward to taking care of. And so right now what we've been doing is we actually have a product collaboration coming out next month where 100% of the profits are going to be donated to Made of Millions. And we also are doing consulting internally. So we're actually going into different brands. We've trained a couple the last three months where we're teaching employees how to take care of their mental health, how HR departments, how to create a healthier environment for your their, their employees' mental health, giving them the kind of the tools that they need to, to make the whole environment better. Um, and then doing consulting as well f- on the external side of it. Okay, you did this internally and now if you want to put product out to this world, here are some things to consider. Yeah. And, you know, just really trying to show people that we can take care of our mental health in fun, creative ways that we might not immediately think about, but really essentially meeting people where they're at through what they enjoy doing. It's all over the place. I know, but it's, it's fun and I enjoy it. (laughs) That's awesome. It's, it's, it covers so much and feels like it meets the moment that we're in, like you, like you were saying, you know, we, we do know that the mental health crisis is surging and we know that this year has been excruciatingly hard. Um, and you know, also that's hitting at the same time as the internet and all these apps and social media and so much more accessibility in a lot of ways. And so I feel like that just to leverage some of that and, um, where we actually can give valuable and appropriate resources and education in those spaces. That's, that's really huge. And for the next generation, and it can really change what, what therapy is. And they are such a creative (laughs) online generation and, and that's so exciting to meet them where they are. Yeah. It's a lot of, a lot of fun, you know, it's it's nice to be able to like have this different approach and, and make it a little bit more digestible. Meeting people where they're at is really what we're trying to do. And I know that's a very common theme, but do it in a way that, that makes it feel less daunting. Yeah, totally. That feels like such a huge barrier of entry. So that's that's amazing to to tackle that. Wow, I'm so I feel like I could talk to you for another hour about all of this really fascinating stuff you're in such a cool you occupy such a cool space both in your kind of public and private persona and like your your own online presence and your work with brands and then in your own work with clients and yeah it's just really exciting to see so I'm really thankful for for your time today thank you so much for giving us an hour thank you so much for having me this was so much fun (laughs) This episode was produced by Dave Emmert. Self-Studies is a podcast by Alma, a company dedicated to simplifying access to high-quality in-network mental health care for both consumers and clinicians. To learn more, visit helloalma.com.